0: Let me read from God's Word, and as a church, we believe that this book is inspired by God and that therefore, not just the concepts, but the words, are God's words. And so we read some of what he has to say to us every Sunday, and then we pray that he will help us to obey it. And so this morning, our text is found in Luke chapter 9. We're going to read verses 57. To sixty-two, Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, and that's Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he, meaning Jesus, said to another man, follow me, but he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he, Jesus, said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Years ago, I read an article in Sports Illustrated, and it was a reprint from a much earlier printing of the article. It originally appeared in 81, and then it was reprinted in 1994, and it was titled, the rabbit hunter, and it was an article about Bobby Knight, who used to be the coach of basketball here in Bloomington. My wife and I love to fight about Bobby Knight. Um, and here's what it said about Bobby Knight. It said, late in his senior year at Ohio State, Bobby Knight considered a job at a high school in Selena, Ohio, as the coach of basketball and an assistant in football. He liked the place, but walking back across the school's gridiron, he kicked at the turf and shook his head. And then Bobby reports himself as thinking this, quote, I thought, if I'm going to be a basketball coach, I can't be diverted, he says. I wanted vertical concentration. That's still the essence of my coaching, unquote. And so he took a lesser job as a basketball assistant without any football responsibility in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. In his first game as head coach of the 10th graders, he broke a clipboard. And there is where my wife and I would start to fight. (laughs) And then the next statement in the article is, intensity, question mark? Yes, intensity. And... It's clear as we read this scripture text where Jesus is dealing with different people that come to him, it's clear that as we look at that and we think about the church today, and then we think about the Colts, we think about what used to be with IU basketball, we think about the saxophone for you, we think about med school, dental school, we think about vet school, we think about, um, Hey, 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 deer hunting, did you all hear about D-Wayne? There is poetic justice in this world. <laughs> you know, D-Wayne is a guy in our church that decided he was going to start hunting this year, and with Bo. And so he'd always, if you saw him, he'd report what was going on. And he reported to me a little while ago that he had shot a squirrel. He was very proud of and he showed me this picture of an arrow through the head of a squirrel. I'm sorry to all you people that think animals should never be eaten, but we eat animals here. And it's, it's theological, actually, but I won't go into that. And uh, so he shows me this picture of this poor squirrel, you know. Well, then last Sunday at Small Group, he shows up with the squirrel. He'd cleaned it, and then he'd cooked it, and he'd wrapped it in bacon. And Dave Carell, where are you, Dave? You have a picture on, on your phone of that, right? So if you want to see D. Wayne's squirrel, and so I'm thinking this guy's pathetic, you know, <laughs> a squirrel, you know. But then he got a ten-point. Yesterday? Friday. Friday. He got his buck. So D. Wayne is in seventh heaven. And so you think about the ways that we prioritize our lives. What did it take for D. Wayne to get his buck well if you know anything about hunting it took a lot it took somebody else teaching him how to bow hunt, how to shoot what bow to buy and then D. Wayne had to be all by himself hour after hour after hour and this is what Bobby Knight refers to as vertical concentration or vertical integration you understand this? deer hunting coon hunting Bluegrass music, the violin, the organ, med school, and the cults. How about them cults? But when it comes to the church, what you call a church that's vertically concentrated is a cult. Or fundamentalist. And neither are commendatory terms. And so, for instance, in Scripture, Jesus says that if a man's going to follow him, he has to hate his father and mother. And so one time I actually talked about what it meant in the church for us to hate our own family for the sake of the kingdom of God. And that next week, it was like I had gone up to a, to a, bees, to, to a beehive uh, where, where the, where, where the uh, bees were all nasty If any of you have ever done any uh, keeping of bees, you know that sometimes you go up to the hive and they're mad. And if you're smart, you know to stay away from it. When they're mad, you come back another time. But that week, when I preached the following week, I caught it from you guys. I mean, people were ticked off. And why? Well, because in America today, we've replaced Jesus and his lordship with family values, And so everybody thinks to be a Christian is to be a Republican, and to be a Republican is to have family values. (laughs) Right? Thank you for laughing. I don't know who that was, but that's right. That's right. That's, That's what to be a Christian is. It means that Sunday isn't the Lord's Day. It's family day, you know? And so I had said that we need to hate our father, our mother, our husband, our wife, our children, our parents. We need to hate them for the sake of God. And everybody was upset because they thought I was trying to destroy families. No, I'm just trying to subordinate the family to God. And that's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, I will be in first place. And then we've got all these guys that talk about how a God worth worshipping will never put himself above anybody. He'll simply be a servant leader. It's like, dude, have you ever seen God? No, you haven't and that's one indication he's merciful and therefore you don't have to see him yet because when you do see him if you're dressed in the righteousness of his son then you will be able to stand but barely and if you aren't dressed in the righteousness of Christ his holiness will consume you for all eternity that's that's what we're facing and so people think that we should sort of bring God back down and he doesn't require anything from anyone. He just serves us and he doesn't exercise authority over us. He shares authority with us. We have this pattern that we come out with where we pull God down to our level and then he's not scary anymore. And, and this is the kind of thing we expect the church to help us to do. <laughs> you know, the church, the whole point of the church is to domesticate God. And you say, well, what does domesticate mean? And I say, well, make them like like a home, like soft, like, you know, family, like cotton candy and Hallmark cards. Domesticate them. But listen, what Jesus says is that if you're going to follow him, you must hate him the members of your own family. And you say, well, yeah, but Jesus also says in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. And I say, okay, I'm not here to make your soul simple. I'm not here to make your decisions for you. I'm not here to tell you when you must hate your father and mother and when you must honor them. You have a brain, and God has given it to you. And you should know the difference between honoring your father and mother and letting your father and mother come between you and God. And it's clear when that happens. It's clear to you when that's happening. So don't try to escape God's authority by telling me that I'm using Scripture against Scripture. Jesus said both the things. He said, honor your father and mother. He said that you have to hate your father and mother. And you know when the one is one and the other is the other. Because he'll make it clear to you. And we're dealing with the same thing here where I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus, being the product of the 20th century church in America, which is very fat and rich, said to him, well, that's nice. If you let me give you a hug and come join us. That's the Jesus we worship. But that's not what he said. What he said is, the foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And what he's really saying is, if you follow me, your life will be worse than the life of a dog. Because a dog has a dog house. But if you're with me, you'll have no place to lay your head. He wasn't very approachable, was he? And that's because Jesus is God. And when when you come to God, you don't come negotiating. Do you understand that? You can't come to God and say, God, I have a husband who's an unbeliever, and in order to cover the, the, the incongruity, the lack of harmony between my husband and you, I'm going to have to do some things that aren't right. Like, for instance, I can't go to that church because that church he hates. I'm going to have to go to a lousy church. But you'll understand, God. So, God, if I'm going to come to you, is it okay if I go to a lousy church so that my husband isn't as mad at me? (laughs) Oh, you guys. God is God. We can't negotiate with him. That's the point where you have to hate your husband. You can't allow your husband, who's a pagan, to choose your church. I mean, does this make sense? And all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, oh, that's a cult. You're trying to divide a man and his wife. I thought we were Republicans. (laughs) I thought we believed in family values. There's enough divorce in this country. A church shouldn't come between a man and his wife. And I say, well, it's not the church, it's God. Oh, there you go again, that's a cult. (laughs) You know, I go, okay, here's the deal. Welcome to Church of the Good Shepherd. This is a church that will never come between you and your husband. It'll never come between you and your parents. We're servant leaders, we'll never tell you what to do, we'll just simply suggest. And when I preach, it'll be just very approachable you know I got my Steve Jobs black thing on you know I don't have the blue jeans but I do have all scuffed up shoes see didn't polish them that's because my son told me my new polished shoes are gay (laughs) and it wasn't a compliment But he hasn't gone to IU yet, and he doesn't know that you're not supposed to use that word in a disparaging way because it's demeaning to people that are gay, right? And so this is the church where you'll really be comfortable. We'll never ask you to take up your cross and follow Jesus. We'll never suggest that you should hate your father and mother or husband and wife. We will never, ever tell you when you say you want to follow Jesus that you should count the cost. We'll never suggest that you won't have a place to lay your head. We'll never tell you that if putting your hand to the plow, you look back, that you won't make it into the kingdom of God. We'll say that God will take whatever you give him, and he'll build on it. And it's all of grace anyhow, so don't worry if you never do nothing, because it's all of grace anyhow, and we're seated in the heavenlies, so you don't need to fear judgment, and you don't need to fear God, because I'm standing here in God's place, and you'll find me a very approachable man. Now let me ask you something. Why would any any man do that? Why would any man do that? And the answer is as old as the hills. A man would do that so that he would get paid. (laughs) That's why a man would do that. A man would sell short the text we actually read so that he could get paid. That's why a man does that. A man who stands in the place of God proclaiming his word, who makes the word more approachable, more acceptable, more liked by women and mothers, a man who stands in the place of God and does that is a man that has given up being a servant of God and is now a servant of his own desires. Or his wife's desires, or his parents' desires. Think of all the people that want their son to grow up to be a priest. But he is not God's servant because what Jesus says is clear. And if I don't tell you what Jesus says, what good am I? I'm no good. Who needs me? (laughs) I mean, forget me. Honestly. Put me out of my misery. Shoot me. Jesus did not welcome the man when he said, I'm going to follow you. What Jesus said is, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then he didn't say, but don't worry about that. We'll make a concession for you. We'll always save enough from the kitty so we can get a motel room for you. I'll be outside, but we'll have a motel room for you. Or, don't worry about that, I won't have any place to lay my head, but you know, I have a a nice, the guy across the hall from us at seminary told me, as it came time to graduate, that he was going to have a golf course ministry. It's actually what he told me. And he was very involved with the fellowship in Washington, D.C. And he was going to have a golf course ministry. Now, do I think golfers aren't Christians? No, many golfers are Christians. But understand, when you're leaving seminary and you're choosing what kind of ministry you're going to have, when a guy tells you he's going to have a golf course ministry, it's shorthand for something. (laughs) And probably it's not shorthand for, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For if a man will save his life, he'll lose it. But if a man will lose his life for my sake, he shall find it. And so Jesus says, he says, I'm going to be a pastor, Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to proclaim your word. And, 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 and I'm going to do it on, and Jesus says, well, foxes have holes and did it, da but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he says, well, I'm, I'm, going, to be, I'm going to be a golf course minister. You will think I'm impious to say this, but the only way to come to God today is to kill the Jesus that you have always been fed. You have to kill him. Because the Jesus that Scripture reveals to us, the Jesus who exists, is absolutely a burning fire. He will not be liked. And he is not nice. He is a consuming fire, and he will be worshipped and obeyed. And any Jesus that does not require us to tremble and to kneel and to cry in repentance is not the real Jesus. And the way you know this is you read the text I just read to you. Let's read it again. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I have decided to follow Jesus. And Jesus said to him, there's another one. And then reported his statistics to the Billy Graham crusade that 3,000 people had come forward. And not one of those counselors at the Billy Graham crusade went up to him and said, foxes have holes. the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What they all said is, you are now saved, and don't ever doubt it, because Jesus has done it all. And I tell you, you have to kill that Jesus. You have to kill him. You're saying, are you telling us to kill the Jesus of Billy Graham? I'm saying, no. I'm telling you to kill the Jesus that has no cost, (laughs) because he doesn't exist. And you say, well, I don't mind tithing, and I say, wait, 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 wait. You can't negotiate with him. You say, well, tithe is 10%. That's not negotiation. That's just a large amount of money. And I say, well, what about your girlfriend? And you say, but I'm tithing. And I say, well, what about your girlfriend? Well, what about my girlfriend? Well, what about the fact that you're sexually intimate with her and she's not your wife? You say, I'm tithing. There are churches all over town you can go to, and they'll let you live with your girlfriend. Go to them. Go. I mean, literally, get up right now and go. Why would I say that? Well, it's not because I don't like you, but it's because... When I first went into ministry, I had a little tiny church in the town of Partyville, Wisconsin and another little tiny church on Route 33 that goes through the center of Wisconsin. Two churches. And I was a brand new pastor, wet behind the ears, young punk. And one day I was cutting my lawn in the front yard, and my church was downtown, and it was beautiful. It had a copper steeple, it had mature maple and oak trees all around it, People constantly stopped to take pictures of the church. It was on the National Register. And this might be a clue as to why this church is ugly. Okay? And I'm cutting my grass, and all of a sudden this baby blue Camaro pulls up in the driveway. And it's got the furry dice hanging from the rearview mirror. Some of you remember what I'm talking about. And it had a spoiler on the back, and it had a pretty babe in the passenger seat. And it wasn't an automatic. And so I realized that they want me. And so the the window, it's electric. It goes, and the babe is here, and the dude is there. And I go over to the window that's open. And I look in, and I say, hi, can I help you? And the guy looks at me and says, are you the reverend? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, we was fixing to get married and wondered if you'd marry us. Now when you have a pretty church in a small town, people come to you and ask you to marry them all the time. Constant stream of people asking you to marry them. Why? Well, it's because they love Jesus, right? No, it's because they know that when they get married, if they're going to do it, they're going to do it right, and to do it right, you need a place that has dignity, and somebody officiating that has some office they're not sure what it's all about but they have enough sense to know that marriage is like a humongous thing and it ought to have some accoutrements that are fitting for humongous things and in a small town the closest thing to a humongous thing is the church and if it's a pretty church and it has a presbyterian pastor who generally is educated that's good And so they'd come into my office because I'd tell them they had to have some premarital counseling. And I would ask them whether or not they believed in Jesus Christ. And I remember one guy, he was the star of the basketball team, a delightful kid. Um, He comes in with his girlfriend and we're sitting there and we're talking and uh, he says to me... um, You know, we'd like you to marry us if you're willing. And so I talked to them for a while. And then I said, so are are you Christians? And she says, (laughs) she looks at me and she says, well, yeah. And this kid, okay, I'm there. He's here and she's here, all right, in my office. And she looks at me and she goes, well, yeah. And he's here and he goes, you are not. (laughs) And she said, what do you mean I'm not? And he said, you wouldn't do the things you does if you was a Christian. Do you remember I said that if you want your God to be small, and to never command, but only to suggest. If you want your God to accept your life as it is, living with your boyfriend, living with your girlfriend, if you want to be gay and be a Christian, if you want to be a materialist and love money, if you want to be a racist and hate Hispanics, leave. Just get up and go. And you say, well, you know, that doesn't sound very nice. This place is a cult. I say, no. It is the direct application of the text that I read to you, which is Jesus will not accept your negotiations. He won't accept your political correctness. He won't accept your prejudices. He won't accept your sins. He will not. You come to him unconditionally surrendering. You come to him with everything in your life, On the table. And then he tells you what you're going to do. And then you obey because you are covered with his blood. And you know that he gave his blood literally, not figuratively, and so now he owns you. Similarly to the way your mother owns you because she gave you her milk and her womb. And so I would get to the point where I would say to these couples, are you a Christian? And when they said no, I'd say, well, then I won't do your wedding. It's not because I don't think Christians should be married. I think they should be married. It's not because I can't marry unbelievers. I suppose I could. But I said to them, what I want you to understand is, here, Jesus Christ is honored. And if you're going to be married in this church, you are going to belong to Christ. And I'm not going to prostitute Jesus Christ and his church for the sake of you having a nice formal wedding. Because I want there to be one place in this town where when everything blows up in your marriage and in your home and in your life, you know you can come to us. Because we will not twist the word of God. We will not make Jesus approachable. We'll let him be God. We'll let his word be true. Though all men are liars. There is a place in party, though, where you can go and have God speak to you. And they call that a cult? They call that a cult? Cult? Can you imagine, in the locker room of the Colts, if one person said one word against Peyton Manning? One word! That's a cult! Do you understand me? The authority of Peyton Manning, every time I listen to a game, I hear the commentators go on and on and on about Peyton Manning. He runs the practices. And they call us a cult? I mean, if you go in that room and you have Peyton Manny out so everybody can be honest and they're not afraid of him, and you say, How many of you have given up a marriage for the sake of football in the NFL? You know how many hands are going to go up? And then you say, okay, those of you that didn't raise your hand yet, how many of you today had your wife angry at you because of football? How many hands do you think will be left down when you get done asking about the alienation of those men in the NFL from their families for the sake of what? Just a sport. Just a sport, right? That is... You understand me. It is vertically concentrated. <laughs> you imagine if we had people charging you money to park to come to church Sunday morning, and yet you'll go to an IU basketball team, game, you won't think a thing of it. You will submit to Ticketron, you will submit to the ushers, you will submit to the. And then when you come in here, I just want you to know that Jesus loves everybody. And then you call us a cult, and we're dealing with God. We're dealing with God's word. We're dealing with the only one who's ever died for you. The only one who could ever stand interfacing himself between you and the holiness of God. And he left a record of truth. And what I'm supposed to do is present this church and our ministry and the word of God in such a way that you feel like it's approachable and it doesn't scare you. Shoot me! (laughs) Put me out of my misery when I start doing that. Listen, I used to be a guy that really wanted people that were important in church. But then I learned that people that are important always want God to lower himself to their level because they've spent their lives having everybody come down to their level because they're important. And then I realized after many years that it's the people who are unimportant who come to God humbly. And so at the age of 56, I'm slowly getting to the point where what I want are people who know God. I don't want important people. Because important people, inevitably, when God comes to them and says, take up your cross, they say, screw it. I'm not going to do it. And so this morning, there are all kinds of people who, having put their hand to the plow, have turned back. Somebody after the first service said to me, you know, recently I went through one of our old picture directories. It is scary. <laughs> and some of you have been here long enough to know. We could start ticking off the names, and you say, that's a cult. Are you saying that people that have left here have rejected Jesus? And I say, yeah, And you say, that's a cult. So, okay, that's a cult, huh? What about John, the beloved disciple who says they went out from us because they were not of us? You didn't know the Bible said that, did you? So if this is a cult, John was leading a cult too, where he believed that there was a connection between people rejecting the authority of the Church of Jesus Christ, and them rejecting Jesus Christ. And you say, there you go again, it's a cult. (laughs) I say, okay, go, just go. And you say, well, that's not very approachable. And I say, well, when you go, come to my house for dinner. I don't want there to be any mistake. This has nothing to do with me, my house, my family. I'm happy to have you sleep in my bedroom. I'm happy to feed you. I'm happy to pay for gas for your car. I'm happy to sit and listen to you complain about your father for hours on end. Whatever turns you on, I'll do. But in the church of Jesus Christ, God will not be mocked. He will not be mocked. His word will be the authority. And if you're living with your girlfriend, you're living with your boyfriend, you've, you've divorced unbiblically, you're greedy, you love money. You're bound and determined to be a feminist. You're bound and determined to be a person that has sex with animals. Now, why did I put those two right next to each other? Well, because they're the same. Somebody that looks at pornography... Somebody that has sex with other men and somebody that has sex with animals, it's all an abomination to God. (laughs) And you go, well, uh, one of these is not like the other. Why? Well, because I do one of these, but only scumbags do the other two. I say, be not deceived, God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If a man sows to his sinful nature, whether that sinful nature is pornography on your computer in the privacy of your own study, whether that sin is sex with other men or with other women, or whether that sin is sex with animals, be not deceived, God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. The man that sows to his sinful nature from his sinful nature will reap destruction and I'm quoting scripture Jesus says a man says I will follow you wherever you go and Jesus said to him the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay its head and then he said to a man follow me but the man said Lord permit me first to go and bury my father what an honorable thing And Jesus said what? Let the dead bury the dead. What was he meaning? What he was saying was, let the people who are spiritually dead bury the people that are physically dead. And you say, well, does that mean that Jesus is saying that we shouldn't honor our father and mother? And I say, that's not what it means. You have a brain. God has given you a brain. You know when to bury your father is to honor God, and when to bury him is to dishonor God. I can't make the decision. Jesus could because Jesus could see inside that man. He knew exactly what was at stake. What was it? I don't know. But I do know that there are places where it is appropriate to say to somebody, let the dead bury the dead. And then Jesus said this. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus said, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And listen, if you think the first two are hard, the third is very hard. Because the third is just a momentary glance back. Do you remember that Jesus also said, remember Lot's wife? He commanded us to remember Lot's wife. Any of you remember about Lot's wife? Lot and his wife were told to flee from Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah were cities that were notorious under heaven and earth because of their inhospitality. They were not hospitable. This is what scripture says. Now you might say, well, how were they not hospitable? And I'd say, well, because they were so given over to homosexuality that they'd rape strangers that came into town as a little bit inhospitable. Okay. And so Lot and his wife were told to flee Sodom and they were they were told to not look back. And so Lot was ahead of his wife and as they were fleeing because God was sending fire and brimstone down on these cities as they were fleeing, his wife did what? She just just she just just looked back. Oh, so she did. Her feet were still heading the right direction, and she was in submission to her husband in front of her. But she just looked back, and do you know what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us at that, that instant she was turned into a pillar of salt. And it wasn't the devil that did it. It was God that did it. Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Jesus says, if you've put your hand to the plow... Don't look back and you say, well, I believe in the perseverance of the saints. I believe in eternal security, once saved, always saved. I say, okay, fine. Look back all you want because it's all of grace. But go to another church. Find a PCA church. They'll give you that. Find an OPC church. They'll give you that. Find a Reformed Baptist church. They'll give you grace until you puke it. And you won't need to fear God anymore. But if you believe that those that Jesus Christ is Savior will be those that have him as Lord, that never does Scripture pit the two against each other, but that everyone that has Jesus as Savior has him as Lord. And if you believe that Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt just for looking back. And if you believe that when Jesus says that you must not look back when you've put your hand to the plow, if you've ever been on a farm and you've looked down a row and seen whether or not the the tractor driver was looking back, (laughs) then worship God. Not me, not the elders here, not the women here, not our children. This is not a personality cult. It's not a cult at all. Or another way of saying it is, it's a personality cult for Jesus. And if you think that's intense, you've never been in the cult's locker room. Because the personality cult for Peyton Manning never gives you life. It gives you fame and glory. It gives you money. But Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And let me tell you, no Super Bowl party is anything like every single time we get together in our small groups and every single time that we get together at Easter and every single time we eat together at Thanksgiving as a church. And the reason is because when we come together, we come together with clean consciences. It doesn't mean that we're without sin, but it means that the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sin. And so if you want to party well, don't look back. One final thing. David's telling me to stop. Can I, one final, just quickly. What does it mean to look back? What does it mean to turn away from Jesus and cast a longing eye to the world? Are you with me? What did he mean when he said, don't look back? Let me give you one illustration. There's a new Bible being published by Zondervan. It's called the New International Version 2010 or 2011, depending on what piece of press release you you read. What does it mean to look back? What does it mean to cast a longing eye at the world? Well, what they've done is they've hired scholars to translate that Bible in such a way that it doesn't offend homosexuals. It's the most widely used Bible in the world. English-speaking world. China's going to whoop up on us very soon. But right now, it's still the most widely used Bible. All right? And in Corinthians, there is a place where it lists greed and all these other things that will keep us from God. All right? And two of the things it lists are senekoi and malakoi. And both of these words refer to homosexuality. They're Greek words, they refer to homosexuality. One refers to the man that takes the initiative in homosexual relationships, and the other refers to the man that receives in homosexual relationships. Very specific meanings of Greek words in God's word that God inspired. And what the New International Version has done is to take those two words and to compress them into one phrase, which is men that have sex with men. Now that sounds fine, right? They're still condemning homosexuality, right? I mean, it sounds fine, right? It doesn't matter that there are two words used in scripture. Compress it together. We all get the point. Would you move off it, Pastor Bailey? Or... But listen, you know how in the church today we all want to be accepted by the world, right? We don't want to be nasty. We don't want to be homophobic. We want to be approachable and understanding and non-condemning. And you know. And so one of the things that we've done in the church is say that homosexual orientation isn't wrong. It's just acting on it that's wrong. And that feels good, doesn't it? And so you don't ever have to think about the identity of a man. All you think about is whether he acts on his identity. And so he can come in here dressed like little Lord Fauntleroy with a limp wrist, right? Or, as my son said, gay shoes, you know? He can come in our midst and completely present as a homosexual. And we all know what that means. It's gay. And we are so enlightened, so progressive, that we look at him and we say, you know, I... I, this is a place for you. And we're very careful not to observe his manner of life, but only whether he acts on it. And that's the way we give a signal to the world what? That we have looked back. That's the way that we show the world that we're reasonable Christians, that we're aware of the concerns of the modern, highly sensible postmodern emo. Right? We're very progressive. We're very enlightened. We are not judgmental. We're not homophobic. We are not Kansas. We're not Fred Phelps. Right? Because we understand that to present as a homosexual and to act as a homosexual are two different things. And then you hit Corinthians. And Corinthians says both the man that takes the initiative and the man that receives, and the word for receives is what? The soft ones. Scripture condemns soft men. And so how do we look back? The way we look back is we get our translators and pay them a bunch of money so that they'll take that out because we're progressive and we no longer make distinctions between those who are the initiators and those who are the receivers. We no longer condemn a man that's a soft man. Because to be soft today is to be pomo emo. <laughs> to be soft today is to buy your coffee at Starbucks with all the women. Better yet to work at Starbucks. To be soft today is to be an organist. Now guys, listen to me. Homosexuality is bondage, pornography is bondage and greed are bondage, and gossip is bondage. Do you understand? All of these will keep us from God. But there are particularities connected with our bondage that are important that Scripture names. And it says that the man that takes the initiative in homosexual relationships and the man that is acted upon by the man that takes the initiative, who is known as the soft one, that both of those are wrong and will keep you from God. And so the way we look back is we say, well, let's just translate it, men that have sex with men. And just like that, we have looked back. Do you understand me? And we don't think it's a big deal, and scholars from Wheaton did it. And what more could you ask for? The church is always going to seduce you to give it its money and in exchange it will tame God and his word for you. And that's the quid pro quo. You have been created by God with a will and with a mind. And you are to use them. And God warns you, you will not have a place to lay your head. God warns you that it is the job of those spiritually dead to bury the dead. God warns you that if you put your hand to the plow and look back, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so now you say what the disciples said over and over again in Scripture when they listen to Jesus teach. What's your response? Your response is always, Lord, who can be saved? Because you look at your heart and you say, this is too much, I can't bear it. And then I say to you, You are now under the cross. You're now getting it. And now you plead with God for mercy. And his Holy Spirit will make you able to believe. But it's my job to reduce you to that position so that you will look to, not to me, that would be a cult, to God to give you faith so that you can accept it. Because it's true. It's true.